And what a goal it was! Stewart makes it 1-1. And it is a gorgeous little chip. This could well be the moment. It is the moment. Welcome to the Football New South Wales Community Podcast, covering the great people, organisations and initiatives from around the football family. It's our second episode of this series, and I'm thrilled to welcome my co-host and special guest for this edition. It's Phil Brown, the CEO of Football St George. Phil, welcome. Teo, thank you. So tell us a little bit about your role and your organisation. How many staff and how long have you been in the chair? I've been with uh, Football St George for for a year and a half now. Uh, We've got five full-time staff and 10 casuals and an army of volunteers that help us to uh, deliver the programs and services uh, that we do for our local football community. So uh, give us some of the suburbs for those listening from interstate or from other parts of the city. Uh, What does that entail, the St George region? Yeah, it's it's just south of the airport, so Rockdale, Hurstville, San Susie, uh, Riverwood, Peakhurst, Penshurst uh, type of area. And for the number of staff you've described and the uh, num- the volunteer network you have, tell us about the number of players that you're providing football for because it sounds as though a small team is doing a pretty extraordinary job. That's similar to every football association in the state at the moment. We've, we've got 10,500 uh, players, have done now for, for the last three years, so quite a decent size uh, football community and the staff do a great job in servicing them. So what are the uh, the trajectories of your, your growth? I mean, you mentioned those numbers, uh, record growth at the moment, but where, where are you stretching? Where can you grow capacity and sort of what do you need in order to see the numbers keep rising? Oh, it's, a, it's a tricky balance between uh, quantity of players and the quality of experience, and we're, we're probably stretched to capacity at the moment, the bit that we need to, to really focus on now, as opposed to just exponential growth, is looking at the uh, volume of referees, coaches, and uh, the quality facilities to make sure that the experience of the participant is what they expect and what they deserve. And certainly the, off the back of a successful Men's World Cup, Women's World Cup about to kick off, there's no shortage of people who are going to want to pick up boots and a ball and play but how important is it that as you mentioned the experience there the whole environment the whole ecosystem comes along in order to provide for the volume of players you're probably going to be experiencing Really important. We all know, especially for referees, a, a game of football is far better when it's got a referee than it doesn't. And um, they're, they're, the, they're, the, they're the key piece in growth for football across the country at the moment, because if we grow past them and they don't come with us in terms of numbers, that's the thing that's going to affect uh, participation the most. So localise it for the St George region for us. What are some of the local initiatives that your association is taking to try and capitalise and take advantage of the interest that's out there in the game? Uh, well, if you have a look at the, the Women's World Cup, that's obviously is coming up. We've introduced a few new initiatives in the last year and a half to, to, to help grow and, and leverage that, that big tournament that's going to be on our doorstep uh, in no time. We're one of the last associations to have a um, part-time uh, girls skill acquisition program, a, really, a program we're really proud of. It gives that opportunity for players to, to have a balance between participation and development. And for those players that haven't quite yet made the level of being able to make a uh, be selected into a full-time program. It gives them that little bit of extra training to be able to then, you know, make that 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 next step up. Supporting that program, obviously, you need a good set of coaches, and we established a female female coach mentor program. Thanks to some some funding, we were able to get through the legacy uh, program, uh, where we offer free of charge. Um, 
coach education in advanced and, and community pathways to 20 female coaches, as well as providing them that, that opportunity to develop. It gives our technical director, Brian Dean, a great opportunity to be able to identify potential coaches for, for our program. And for 2023, uh, we're really proud to say that all of our coaching staff are female coaches that have, that have come through that program. And that is something that a lot of uh, football associations, there's always the aspiration to put more women in leadership roles, more women in coaching roles, but to see some actual tangible results for the the initiatives that your association has taken, how important has that been so that you've got a, a bit of a proof of concept to continue rolling it out? Well, it's really important because those coaches then take their learning back into their environment and they can then help develop through through their participation in football the next cohort of, of coaches to come through. So we are now at the point where we're setting up some of those coaches to be leaders themselves within the coaching community. They're taking on more responsibility now in our girls' SAP, but then also coaching in some other um, academy programs uh, that we do. And as I said, taking those leadership positions to, to mentor the next group of coaches. Now, football is the game for everyone, but sometimes that means it's not 11 versus 11 on a full-size pitch. Uh, tell us about what the St George Association is doing, providing modified formats of the game in order to harness the interest in the uptake. The focus for us then is around um, modified formats of the game in summer. So the, the key aspect there is that there's plenty of people that, that play in winter and they want to continue playing in summer. Some of them do, and we provide that opportunity for them. We've got you know, nearly 3,000 boys, girls, men, women that, that play in a uh, six-a-side format um, of summer football. The other great opportunity that provides is for, for young boys and girls who might play another sport in, in winter, netball or, or basketball, that in summer they can play and experience football with their friends without having to choose between the other sport they love to play and football. And it's a great tester and a great introduction to the sport. Now, these competitions, they've always got, uh, due to the uh, conditions, uh, summer sort of can play later into the evenings as well, after work, after study or school or whatever. They've always got a really strong social sort of cohesion to them as well. Tell us what the environment's like at the summer football competition and, and what maybe, I know we're in the midst of winter right now, but what people can expect in a few months' time when summer rolls around. Yeah, well, you're right. It's a, it, it's a, it's a social comp. There's a, there's a really good, friendly vibe and experience uh, around the the competition. We also, it's it's quite a bright looking comp as well because we uh, provide all of our teams that compete a reversible jersey for this next season. One side grey, one side a very very bright pink. To, so that when you turn up, it's just a, a sea of colour across the field. Kids mostly running around, having fun and enjoying a sport they either already love or they're, they're learning to love now. Tell us, uh, what are some of the venues then? Describe uh, what, it, what it might be like on a match day. Yeah, we use uh, a few hubs mostly. Well, we use all all weather fields um, uh, at four different centres, uh, two in Rockdale, uh, one at Peakhurst, one at Poulton. We've got between four and six fields at, at each of the venues, all running through for hours at, uh, on a summer night playing football. And if people have uh, had their interest piqued by this, maybe they live in the area, maybe they're close to the area and want to sign up, where do they go? Uh, straight to our Football St George website and there'll be links there also on our social media channels, so our, our Facebook and our Instagram. Let's move on to the St George Cup. Now, this provides different playing opportunities. Uh, tell us what the Cup is, how it came about and what it entails. 
Yes, and George Cup, it's another small-sided uh, opportunity that, w- that we provide. It's coming up on the 4th and 5th of, of July uh, at Poulton Park, one of our uh, all-weather venues. It's for age groups 9s, 10s, 11s and 12s. Uh, Six-a-side format, it's, it, it exposes players to competition football from those many age grades in a controlled environment. So we all know that on the weekend, Mini Roosters played with no points, uh, no league tables, and we agree that that's the, that's the right and appropriate format for, for winter football. What we saw was an opportunity for a point of difference where you look at what happens in, in England where they have their younger age grades play a non-competitive season that's interspersed with small amounts of gala day tournament football, that there was an opportunity here for us to be able to introduce competitive football in, in a safe environment so that when those players do move through um, those mini roos age grades into junior football to go from small-sided, uh, no points, result doesn't matter, to full-side points, results do matter, that it's not such a stark introduction that they've had a little bit of experience to that over time. So it's a it's an initiative that, that, that we um, really... Uh, put some focus into after COVID. We we took a f- the other point of difference being that we looked at a grassroots entry point. So the, the kids in SAP and Girls SAP, they've got a 40-week program, they play 30 games, and there's plenty of other tournaments for them to uh, participate in Sydney FC. You've got a great one coming up in July. Um, our focus is for grassroots participation and giving them the opportunity to be able to come together and, and enjoy a tournament. There wasn't a lot of those um, opportunities around for them. Give us an idea of the scale and the size. How many players, how many teams, how many associations are we talking? Are we talking uh, tens of thousands, thousands, hundreds? How many How many players are going to be part of the St George Cup? Uh, we're, we're certainly not talking tens of thousands, and that would be very hard to deliver. Uh, we're, we're looking at around the 40 to 50 teams, Mark. We'd like to keep it... That will feel like tens of thousands. It, it will <laughs> over, that small, over that small period of time. And 40 to 50 teams, um, they play three games uh, in the morning in their group stage and then a, a finals uh, in the afternoon. No matter where you finish, you either play off for your position or you play semi-final and into the final. And it's accessible. It's uh, over and done in one day. There's other tournaments where they can travel interstate. There's expenses with that. They could go for a week, but this is something that is accessible um, and gives uh, kids and families something to do in the, in the school holidays. Now, this is a a slight tangent, but inspired by the St. George Cup. How important is it to think outside the square? Because in my experience in sport administration, but also in the media, you know, I have both first-hand and second-hand accounts of just how difficult it is to bring back what you did the previous year and roll it out again the next year. That in itself is often an achievement. So just how challenging is it to think outside the square, provide something a bit new and a bit different, but also understand that people's needs uh, often can't conform to how sport how football may be provided and sometimes presenting an alternative model can be what captures people that otherwise might fall through the net or maybe time poor or even cash poor and not be able to play. The, the only time it's difficult is if you try to do it all yourself. If you're talking to people around you and you've got a good group of, of people that you engage with, finding new ideas isn't hard. And as far as the long-term ambitions or maybe medium-term ambitions for the St George Association, uh, have you got your, your stake in the ground on anything that you're building towards or anything you're aspiring to or dreaming of or perhaps thinking big with uh, World Cups and maybe a huge player explosion in interest in the game on the horizon? Uh, now, look, our, our next big thing is going to be the uh, expansion of our inclusive football programs, our... 
traditional format is is set and solid. We've got a really good summer offer. We've got uh, a tournament offering for, for for players within the school holidays. The next bit for us is certainly that expansion of our inclusive football programs. Well, Phil, stay with us. We'll have a quick break and go into our staff insight. We'll bring in one of our guests, but you are my co-host today, so stay with me here. You're listening to the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. Day after day, Kappa rewrites the concept of sportswear. Kappa means teamwork, past, present, and future. Kappa never stops, because winning starts within. Two people, one brand. Kappa. Welcome back to the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. We've got Phil Brown, the CEO of St George Association, and we're pleased to welcome as part of our staff insight the Inclusion and Diversity Coordinator at Football New South Wales, Annabelle Meadley. Annabelle, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So tell us, uh, how, how long have you been in your current role and is it the first uh, title you've had at Football New South Wales or the first title you've had in football administration? So I've been in the role for coming up to two years now and it is my first role here at Football New South Wales. I did work with the big issue previously in a football sort of capacity, so yeah. So Inclusion and Diversity Coordinator, it's a pretty broad title. Before we jump into some of the initiatives you're working on, tell us what that means to you and sort of your portfolio of what you're responsible for. Yeah, so within my portfolio, I take care of multicultural programs, First Nations programs and all abilities programs. So it's really important to me just because I have like a really strong sense of social justice. So I really want to make sure that everyone has equal opportunity and we make sure like I have a love for the game. So it's really awesome that we can make sure that the game's available to everyone. And is it just you? Are you part of a broader team? Give us an, an idea of where your work falls within the organisation. I work within the community football department, uh, so that's under Aaron Dibton, and so that's part of a, I'm part of a bigger team. Let's talk about some of the initiatives that you are currently working on and working towards the Nova Employment Football for All Gala Day wrap-up. Tell us, top to bottom, what is that program? So we just had that this past Sunday, which was really exciting. It's one of our biggest events of the year, and it's one of the ones that everyone looks forward to at Football New South Wales. It's always one of the ones that everyone's looking forward to to being a part of. The Football for All Gala Day is where we gather all of the Football for All programs from around New South Wales to come together for sort of a festival gala day where everyone participates in some fun football along with um, we had Jumping Castle here, the Fire Brigade, Base Painters and along with many sort of special guest appearances. We had the Pararoos, Paramatildas, um, Western Sydney Wanderers players, Sydney FC players and local dignitaries as well, which is really exciting. And this year we had an upgrade and we got the FIFA Women's World Cup mascot to Zuni attend, which was really exciting for all the players and everyone attending. Tell us about what the football looks like. How is it provided in its modified format for those not familiar with the concept or with the day? Yeah, so on the day we use all three of our fields that we have nearby the headquarters here at Football New South Wales. So we have, with the younger age group, we go from, we have category one, two, three and four. And so we look at age groups five to nine in category one and then it goes up like that. But we sort of lean on a lot with our experts, with the football for all coordinators and they sort of put their teams in based on their uh, players' abilities as well. So we have mini fields on uh, field two, which are, we have about eight fields on that field. And then across two and three, we have half-size fields as well. 
I, I will come back to you and ask you more about the uh, Nova Employment Football for All Gala Day. But Phil, the St George Association had an involvement and has had an involvement in this type of football for some time. Tell us about uh, St George's role in uh, in this Gala Day, but also in providing football in this space. Yes, yeah, so we've had a football for all program for for for. For many years now, it's built off the back of uh, a vision of the late Daryl Hancock. It was uh, initially run out of one of our clubs, Cars Park, but a few years ago, a transition over to Football St George to to try to give it a, a broader footprint across the association. Uh, we've got four teams at the moment. They compete in under seven, under nine, under 12 and under 18 uh, age groups uh, in the draw as a club uh, in our competitions. And the, the players range in ability and age from, from five years through to 23 years of age. As well as playing in the, in the Gala Day, which Football New South Wales do an amazing job in delivering, we've got our own competition that the teams are playing. We've recently moved away from a grass field onto an all-weather uh, field um, and given us the ability to, to not only mitigate the risk of, of rain influencing the, the, the delivery of the program, but also allowing us to expand into expand our opportunity for players that use adaptive walkers, so commonly referred to as, as frame football because the level of the of, of players is is nice and even on, on the surface. And, yeah, we, it's it's a program that we are uh, committed to uh, further growing um, and, and a really, really important part of the inclusive programs that we've we've delivered over time. Annabelle, how, how sort of satisfying is it for the players to play and to be involved, but also for the people who put on the program to see what a success it's been in terms of the social cohesion, you know, physical activity, but also the fact that it, it takes place at all? Like, what is the value of that to the players and the people that actually help put the day on? I think I've spoken to a fair few football for all coordinators, uh, you know, on the day and they just, it's one of the ones that all the kids are looking forward to. You know, I spoke to Kim from the Pink program the other day and she just said, look, this is the number one thing that they're all looking forward to because they get to play with teams from around New South Wales. It's ones they don't always see all the time. So they're getting, seeing fresh faces and um, getting a bit of a game difference as well, which is really exciting. But yeah, it's also just a great time for all the program coordinators to get together as well. And like you said, it's got to have that opportunity for everyone to, to see the great game in, in all aspects as well. And Phil, how important is it that football provides this? Because it is a sport that prides itself on being inclusive and accessible, but this is walking the walk. This is it literally, you know, rolling out and, and practising what you preach in order to, to reach into this level of physical ability and still provide a football experience. It, it's vitally important. We hear too, all too often that you know, football is the most inclusive sport, but it has to be more than a slogan. We have to live and breathe it. And we see that not only in the in the uh, football for all uh, programs, but the expansion that Football New South Wales and we are looking to take now with Sydney FC around power chair football, which has been included in the football for all gala day for a few years now and something that we're starting to expand on in our region, thanks to the work that the Sydney FC Foundation do and especially their, their manager, Alex Riley. We've got some uh, school holiday clinics coming up. We have one in April and we've got one at the Morrissey Indoor Centre in July to help provide those opportunities for people, regardless of their ability, to, to play that great sport of football. Annabelle, uh, let's talk about some of the other inclusion events and what else Football New South Wales is doing to improve access to the game. Yeah, so as, as 
Phil touched on, the sort of football for all encompassing as well power chair. So they've been around for a while with our football for all program in terms of the gala day. And it's really awesome to see them up there as well, just because we've seen a lot of young players come through their SAP program now, which is really great to see. And then in terms of power chair, it's really exciting because this year we will have the power chair World Cup here in Sydney at Sydney Olympic Park. So, which is really exciting in October um, from, I think, the 15th to the 21st. So that's really exciting to see. Um, but, yeah, it is really important to sort of keep a light on all of these types of different football. So that we've seen so many different adaptations of the game, which is really great to see. So we want to keep that light on those different sort of adaptations of the game just because people, some people don't think, you know, they don't know these opportunities out there and they can still be involved in the game. Now, what about clubs or associations that want to take more steps to develop football in this area? Maybe due to who's already at their club, but they don't have a program, or maybe from hearing this conversation and thinking this is somewhere that our association needs to take more steps. Is that something that you have a hands-on role in working with the associations around New South Wales? And, and tell us about the dynamic. Is it you reaching out to them? Is it them reaching out to you? Is it a mix of both? Like, how does that work when an association says we want to take the next step and actually start doing say what you know St George has done and provide a program like the ones that they do mm-hmm. it's a bit of a mix to be honest so you know often I'll get people reaching out to me so I am the number one contact for that if they're looking to put together a football for all program I would recommend reaching out to me and I basically can give sort of a guideline or of how to start up a program and from then would look at doing a come and try day to sort of engage interest and see how much we can do and what kind of people are interested in in having a football for a program one of the biggest things that I would recommend is reaching out to another program or through me we can go out and see another program in you know in St George say and see how they do things just so as a good basis on on what it looks like but one of the big things is also volunteers you obviously need volunteers for these things and I know you know everyone that's working in the community football space knows that you know we need volunteers to make these things happen so you know volunteers is the big one um, to get that push through as well but yeah I'm the biggest contact for that and I'd love to see more football for all programs um, we have different ways that you can kind of reach out to me as well in terms of whenever we had community activations we have a little line there saying would you like to have a football for all program and so that comes through to me and then I can reach out. And Phil um, given that your association now has a track record in this what what sort of uh, just break off a little bit of your IP and share it with our listeners as to you know the first steps that a club or an association can take if they want to get involved in this area of the game. You've just got to try. It's simple as that. You've got to try and be persistent. If I think back to my time at um, Capital Football in Canberra United, where we established a, a, a power chair program down there, we went 18 months of providing the opportunity with no one turning up until one player turned up. And once it was one, the next week it was five, the next week it was 10. So you've just got to be persistent, provide that opportunity, and eventually you'll, you'll reap the rewards. Annabelle, last one for you. Um, tell us a bit, a little bit about your ambitions and the goal setting that you have in your own role. It's quite obvious from talking to you that you take great pride in your work, but what are some of the ambitions or maybe uh, aspirations that you've got that you'd like to see achieved while you're working in this role? I mean, looking at my role in terms of 
not only with all abilities, but like I mentioned, I work with multicultural um, and First Nation groups. So I do want to have just basically in all those spaces, really expand the game and make sure that we have as many people involved in the game as possible. So looking at increasing the number of football for all programs that we have across New South Wales and especially looking regionally as well. We have obviously that goes for everything, but um, lower numbers of everything um, regionally. So probably want to increase the number of football for all programs we have in regional areas you know, hoping to see them also attend the Football for All Gala Days in future years as well. Annabelle Meadley, Inclusion and Diversity Coordinator, thanks for the chance to get to know you and to hear about a bit of your work. Keep up the good work and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That's uh, Annabelle there. Let's stay uh, with us on the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. We'll come back and wrap it up right after this. Welcome back to the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. To finish off today, Football St George is prepping for a massive 2024 where they celebrate 100 years. We've still got CEO Phil Brown with us uh, as our guest and guest host for this edition. Phil, tell us about some of the plans for the 100-year celebration. It's it's a big milestone. We're still uh, planning the full schedule uh, of events for the hundredth anniversary. The first the first uh, part for us is redesigning our website. Uh, we want to include a more comprehensive history of, of football uh, in St George. Recognise the clubs and the characters that that have built the association uh, over the last century. Keeping that digital record, I think, is important because a lot of records have, have been lost over over time. And we'll hold a gala dinner, and we're working on some other uh, events uh, to engage the football community and celebrate this this very significant uh, milestone in our association's history. And uh, off the back of the Women's World Cup, you'll be hoping to increase participation and and maybe embrace the boom. We we spoke about that off the top of the show, but uh, coordinating it uh, to fit in with 100 years as well, it seems as though things are nicely aligned for a real celebration of both what's come before, but also what's coming in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I um, mean, you talk about the, the, the bump in, in registrations that, that comes after the, these World Cups and it's safe to assume that, you know, many young players will see the exports of Sam Kerr, Steph Catley, Kat Gorey, Ellie Carpenter, Claire Hunt, uh, and, and be inspired to emulate them. But wouldn't it be great if we had young people that saw our referees, including Kate Jackowitz, Casey Rybelt, Joanna Caractus, performing at the highest level? and being inspired to follow in their shoes. And when you think about it, there's over 700 players that are selected by countries to participate in in the World Cup, but there's only 33 referees and 55 assistant referees. So their achievement is as impressive and as important as the players, and and it'd be great to to, to see those uh, referees role-modelled and celebrated during this World Cup. Phil Brown, CEO of Football St George, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back with our regular community podcast in a month. However, in the meantime, you can catch up with earlier episodes of both the Kickoff Football New South Wales Competitions podcast and the community podcast on your preferred podcast platform. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Thank you to our guests for joining us for this edition. You've been listening to the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. And what a goal it was! Stuart makes it 1-1. And it is a gorgeous little chip. This could well be the moment! Yeah!